mean it from the bottom of my heart. I give you my word as a Biden. Thank you. Thank you for the intensity of your support. It matters. It matters that Americans see what's happening. I mean, I, I, I've been doing this a long time. I never really thought that I would see and have confirmed pictures of terrorists beheading children. I never thought I'd ever. Anyway. Welcome to a somber late night edition of Liberty Lockdown. This is Clint Russell once again. I'm going to get right into it. No ad reads. It's, uh, it's too grim to do that. So I'm just going to speak from the heart and tell you guys what I'm thinking right now because it's, uh, it's concerning, to put it mildly. Um, all right, so first off, if you've, been, if you've been with me for as long as I've been doing this show, you already know I'm pretty good at staying calm and rational and you know, utilizing discernment as we deal with waves of either you know, misinformation or propaganda from our government or our medical establishment during the COVID era. I definitely demonstrated my ability to, you know, suss it out, suss out the truth, as I'm sure many in the audience did as well. And I hope I assisted you guys in that journey. Um, so I hope, you know, my track record will lend some credence to what I'm about to say, because it does sound crazy compared to the narrative that I'm seeing online from virtually everybody else. <laughs> like everybody else except the liber libertarians uh, seem to be completely bloodthirsty and out of their minds and i am very disturbed by it so let me start by breaking down a thread that i did on the the 40 baby story i don't know if i can say it without getting in trouble but um it was alleged that 40 babies were killed in a really graphic and horrific way uh by hamas and i've recapped how this story has played out so that you guys can decide for yourselves if you think it legitimate. So the initial 40 baby report was walked back. The reporter that initially had reported had seen no images at all. She, uh, <laughs> it also came out, there was additional reporting that came out that said that the reporter and the news agency that she worked for was tied to Netanyahu's office. Her reports were based on IDF accounts and the IDF refused to confirm when uh, other news agencies reached out to them. They refused to confirm her reports or, or the reports that there was these babies. Um, then today, CNN comes out and they confirm this story. But then in their coverage of it, they explain they have seen no images it is entirely based off of messaging that they've received from Netanyahu's communications office. So basically off of Netanyahu's word. And then Joe Biden comes out tonight and he, in my opinion, launders that story. He says that he has seen the images. He, seen, he has actually personally seen them. Then the White House puts out another memo walking back his own statements saying that they had not seen these images and that it was entirely based off of Netanyahu's communications department once again. So you have the initial report of the news lady. She walks it back. There's connections between her and that the news uh, agency she works for. 
with Netanyahu's office. Then CNN confirms it based off of Netanyahu's office. And then Joe Biden confirms it. And then it is walked back stating that the only reason he said that was because he had heard it from Netanyahu's office. So I'll tell you what I think. But now that I've said all of that, I hope you're I hope you're following with me and you're also uh, asking important questions like, does this sound real at all? Does it sound real to you at all? And as I always have to give this disclaimer, I don't know why I have to give this disclaimer, but I am not a Hamas supporter by any stretch of the imagination. And they have committed enough terrible acts over the past week, acts of egregious, just horrific terrorism, just the worst things imaginable. But I don't believe this particular story. And the reason I don't believe it is because there's no confirmation. And if you've been spending as much time online trying to figure out what the hell's going on as I have over the past five days since this began, uh, you have seen, along with me, some truly horrific footage of the carnage left in Hamas's wake. Uh, and I don't deny any of that. But I believe, personally, that um, this footage, or the, the lack of this footage, this, this story, rather, was kind of this sensational headline that was enough while it was first floated out there that the majority of the people that heard this story, many of which are still under the uh, misconception that it is in fact true, since we don't have any confirmation, they don't know that it's true. At, at a minimum, we don't know that it's true. So they're all functioning. Half of the people or more, probably way more, think that it's true if they've heard about it. And then the other half aren't sure, but they still are thinking it probably is. <laughs> I mean, and there's maybe like, 2% of the world, it seems like, that is actually saying, like, that isn't a Hama, uh, isn't also just some Hamas sympathizer that is also saying to themselves, like, I don't think this story's true. I think that this story was put up there because it's extraordinarily sensational, it's horrific, and anyone with a conscience is going to go, oh my god, whoever did this needs to pay an enormous price. Enormous price. So while, while this headline is, is floating out there and there's no confirmation or denial because it's a, it's a story, so we can't really prove it one way or the other because there's no evidence. Um, but in, that, in that, the wake of that, you have millions of people in America, pretty much anyone that heard that story, is all of a sudden completely on, on board with Israel doing whatever they have to to go after the people responsible, right? Just as... You know, there's lots of lots of examples of this, but um, you know, 9/11 being the most profound for anybody, uh, you know, in my age range, it's like after that, everyone was like, well, who <laughs> whoever did that, go get them. And what happened in the wake of it was atrocious war criminal activity, unconstitutional, undeclared wars against nations that had nothing to do with it. So it's very important that when these sensational headlines come out or terrible acts of violence happen that we still maintain a sense a sense of rational discerning thought and that's all i'm encouraging people to do i'm not encouraging people to write off what hamas has done it has been terrible 
but as a as a consequence of people kind of being mind effed into believing that it is in fact true you now have tacit support if not vocal and passionate support for bombing palestine bombing uh gaza specifically because that's where hamas is located and i've seen the footage i've seen i this is footage i have seen and it is horrific and i can't play it for you i'm sorry i can't um well, you're welcome, I can't, actually. Uh, but there is lots and lots of footage of children and babies being pulled out of rubble in Gaza. And many of them killed, taking them into the hospital. It's gruesome. It's terrible. On top of that, you've had the water, power, uh, fuel, and food all cut off from Gaza a town with 2 million people in it, 2 million people. And it seems as if because of this 40 baby story, no one's, no one feels comfortable to speak out on the behalf of the innocent people that are caught in this crossfire. And it puts me in this position of once again, being called all of the worst names imaginable as if like, this has something to do with me hating Jewish people or other people have accused me of being a Zionist just because I, I am willing to condemn Hamas. It's like, no, I'm condemning everybody that's responsible for killing kids. I think that's, that's about as <laughs> like, I, I can't even wrap my head around how that's controversial. What is happening to you people? Not you guys, but like, Everybody else that is just so bloodthirsty right now. It's so scary. It's just so scary that, that people are, are so just wrapped up in vengeance that they're willing to say over and over and over again that, well, Hamas shouldn't have done it. They targeted kids intentionally. So any of the kids killed by... Israel's response is on Hamas. I'm sorry, that's not how it works. Whoever is responsible for taking the life of those kids is responsible for taking the life of those kids. That should be fairly straightforward. Oh, they're human shields, Clint. Guys, it's an open-air prison. There is two entrances. One goes into Egypt, the other goes into Israel. You're not allowed to leave. It's a prison. If you go into the water, if you go into the sea there, Israel also will blow up your boat. You can't leave. These people can't leave. The Egyptians won't take them. None of these other Muslim nations uh, around that area are willing to take in the Palestinians. Do I place some blame on those nations? Of course I do. Of course. <laughs> but there are 2 million innocent people, half of which are children that are being bombed into smithereens by the Israel you know, counteroffensive, if you want to put it in that, you know, framing. And no one seems to care. No one seems to care at all. It blows my mind. It's so obviously tragic on both sides of this thing. And it's like, you're only allowed to point out the atrocities that has happened to the Israelis. And it's just completely unpermitted to talk about what's happening to the Palestinian children.
It's crazy. So now on top of that, you have, because you have this bloodlust that has been fomented amongst the American people under what I believe to be a war propaganda story, a sensational story that, that overstates at a minimum what transpired to try and give you this like jaw dropping headline. So you just say to yourself, whatever must be done, must be done. And whoever's caught up in the, in the crossfire, so be it. And I just reject that premise entirely. I think it is one of the most evil things I've ever witnessed in my life. And maybe that's just because we now have the technology to see these things happening in real time. And maybe this is the nature of the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan and all the other ones that my nation has perpetrated on the world. Maybe. But this is particularly evil and gruesome, and I'm able to see more of it than I have ever in any war in my lifetime. Uh, even more than the war in Ukraine, even though it's happening right now too. I haven't seen nearly as much footage from that battlefield. Um, so yeah, I'm pretty shaken up about it. And I guess the reason I wanted to, to recap all of this for you guys is to, to just encourage you once again to keep in mind that there are innocent people caught in the crossfire on both sides of this fight. And I, I'm getting increasingly nervous that right now, allegedly, um, Hezbollah from Lebanon has gone into northern Israel and they've begun fighting and there's other nations obviously all of the nations essentially around Israel are not fans of Israel and it appears like they are also kind of watching and waiting and trying to decide what they're going to do and it could be a multi-front attack on Israel in which case their existence would then be an existential threat in my opinion uh, that's also Colonel McGregor also tends to believe that and if that's the case, given that our political establishment, you know, stands with Israel above all, but Biden has said it multiple times ever since the, the early Saturday morning attacks, um, we stand with Israel. We'll, we'll help in any way we have to. And it's making me increasingly nervous that this is going to be the flashpoint for, if not at, at a minimum, another major war. I think it has all of the all of the hallmarks and potential for a world war because Iran has been supporting Hamas. They also support Hezbollah financially. I don't know to what extent because so much of this is, you know, Western media coverage and I just simply can't trust them, unfortunately. Um, but I don't have much doubt that they are, in fact, kind of their proxies or at least uh, their benefactors. So... It looks like Iran and all of these other, uh, you know, Arab nations, uh, Muslim nations are, are sitting there on the sidelines, kind of deciding if this is the fight to end all fights. Like if they're going to go for it, if they're going to try and take out Israel. And if that happens, then I would suspect that it would almost obligatorily obligate, you know, the U S and probably all of NATO, because I think that they'll, they'll do whatever America does into a defensive posture. Uh, we already have one strike group from America that is in the waters over there. And there's another one en route. Now I thought it was being put out there as a deterrent, obviously. And, uh, 
now it's looking more and more probable that these they could actually uh, end up fighting. Uh, on top of that, there are American hostages in uh, in Palestine being held by Hamas. Uh, there's also over 20 Americans that have been killed. I would imagine the majority of them are, you know, American Israelis. Um, but regardless, they're citizens, so that's Americans that have been killed. And then you have American hostages. I don't know the current count, uh, but it's not a small number uh, that are being held by Hamas. So now we have a basically like a SEAL special ops team that is is going over there. Uh, there are hostage negotiators as well, and you know it's just going to take it's going to take a lot of luck. It's going to take a lot of luck to avoid this going really really bad like the worst bad so it's just we there's so many wars in my lifetime and they have all been bad all of them and i'm just trying so hard to get people to like have any sense of reflection on what we've already gone through with this militarism and and how how little positive it has created and how much how incredibly much negative it has created and it just doesn't seem to be getting through and what i've been feeling over the past five days since i've really been diving into this is the exact same way i felt in the early stages of covid where like just it's basically me and the other libertarians the they're good libertarians there's plenty of bad libertarians that have also lost their minds lately but the other good libertarians that are true non-interventionists are all looking at this going like why are we the only ones that are saying any of this like that aren't you know hamas supporters that aren't zionists that aren't israelis like we're like the only ones in america that aren't just picking a side and saying we're with this side. And I'm like, I'm not with these sides at all. <laughs> like, can you imagine given, given the way the Palestinians have been treated by Israel and then the way Hamas just attacked in the worst terrorist fashion, uh, you, well, not the worst you can, but very, very close, uh, in terms of, you know, amount of casualties. Um, like, can, uh, no, of course I don't stand with either side. Obviously not. Um, but it's just this, you know, it, 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 Israel's, uh, you know, Twitter account even put out, you're like, you're either with us or you're with the terrorists. And if you're old enough, you will have that, that phrase will ring in your ears and reminisce you all the way back to the great 2002, 2003 period where that exact same line, that exact same stupid line was floated out there. You're either standing with Israel, or you're standing with the terrorists. You're either with us or against us. George H.W. Bush. I think it's H.W. Maybe it's W. Yeah, it's W. Um, I just can't, I can't believe that it's happening again. <laughs> I can't believe it. I can't believe it's happening again. And I really hope, I really, really hope that we can find a way to avoid putting boots on the ground. Oh, man. It's so crazy. And then on top of that, you still have all of the variables and unanswered, you know, 
very valid questions as to how Hamas, this kind of ragtag militia, pulled off this attack with 400 troops getting through one of the most heavily guarded borders on earth. And then not just being in there, but staying in there for hours, like six, seven hours. Some of them stayed for days before they were totally wiped out, but many of them stayed in there for six, seven hours and retrieved a ton of hostages, Israelis and Americans that they brought back to Palestinian territory to Gaza. And, uh, and they now have them. They now have these hostages. And it just doesn't make any sense to me at all. How could this happen with the one of the most heavily guarded borders on earth? And there's no answers. Netanyahu's department is not giving us any answers, not even an excuse really, as to how this happened. But we're all just supposed to go, it doesn't matter. Terrorism happened. So now we must wipe out the terrorists. And it doesn't, and damn the consequences and damn the innocents that are caught in between. And I'm just like, no, no, no damning the innocent <laughs> ever. No damning the innocent ever. This seems like such a basic moral stand to take. And there's so few people doing it. And I'm probably losing some of you right now. Because I know when you watch the footage, you're like, this is terrible. These people do need to pay a price. And and you're looking at me going like, does he even think they need to pay a price? The answer is yes, of course. But if that price is paid along with a thousand to 10,000 to 100,000 innocent lives, then no. Then my answer would be no. Just as I don't support and I, in fact, really reject you know, the, the entire argument that it was necessary that we nuke civilians to end World War II. Certainly the second bomb. My God, that was just a flat war crime. Um, even if you want to argue the first was necessary to avoid, avoid a land invasion, I still, for the life of me, I don't know how you can say that the second one was reasonable because it happened two days later, I believe. So that's kind of, that's how I'm feeling right now. It feels like, like people are willing to just ignore all the, all the collateral damage. And this is particularly evil because these people really don't have a place to flee to. And keep in mind too, we're talking about 2 million people with two, two entrance exits, uh, to this, you know, to Gaza and, and they gave them 12 hours to vacate 2 million people with 12 hours to vacate and I mean, even assuming that their entry exit, you know, uh, to Egypt and to Israel was open, which it wasn't, but even assuming that it was, you're never going to get 2 million people out in 12 hours. I live in Florida. If there's a hurricane, you're not getting all these people out in 12 hours. It's absurd. So they didn't really give them an opportunity. And then they just shelled them into oblivion. And it hasn't even gotten as bad as it's going to get, not even close based off of, you know, what they're saying. So it looks like we're on the we're in the early stages of this and we're already, you know, racking up a body count of innocent people. And I'm talking children. Children. I guess I'm just imploring, I mean, maybe not you if you're seeing this the same way I am, but anybody that's not seeing this the way I am to just like really reflect on it. 
do you, are you willing to like, how many innocents are you willing to die, to let die or to be murdered? I should say, um, in order to, you know, get retribution against Hamas. 10,000, a hundred thousand, a million. Is there a limit? I hope, I hope you have a limit. I certainly do. It's crazy. All right. Let's get into some, uh, some clips from people as they've been talking about this stuff. Cause I think, I think there's, uh, there's a lot of politicians that have completely lost their mind. So let's, let's hear what they have to say. First up, Tucker Carlson, uh, had a great monologue where he was actually calling for peace. What a novel concept. He also had Vivek Ramaswamy on, who I was happy to see was more in alignment with a non-interventionist stance. And then you have Ben Shapiro, who has, mm, I think it's fair to say, completely lost his motherfucking mind. And here is a clip from his own show. Sorry for the graininess. It's uh, from Twitter, but he is watching the interview between Tucker and Vivek, and this is his reaction. And again, I, I want to add my voice to that because I'm a human being. But oh, sure you do. The you sound very outraged. The outrage among Republican presidential candidates was so much more intense. One of them took to a bullhorn and started yelling about it. I get it. But no one would think to do that about the 100,000 American young people murdered every year. And they because who are you yelling at? Who are you yelling at? First of all, people are on bullhorns yelling about drug overdoses and the open border all the time. All the time. What is he even talking about? What he's attempting to do is minimize what happened in Israel. He's not attempting to maximize what happened in the United States. He's attempting to minimize as though America can't walk and chew gum, morally speaking, at the same time, which is absurd. And those two things are nothing alike. I'm sorry, that is not alike. It is not alike for drug smugglers to smuggle drugs over the border, which someone then takes and shoves into their arm and then they dive in overdose. That is not the same thing. I promise you, it is not the same thing as a terrorist breaking into your home and murdering your children in their beds in front of you and dragging your wife off to be raped in Gaza. That is not the same thing. Pretending that it is, is immoral. Uh, it's a moral blight. It's idiocy. It's just moral stupidity at the highest level. Of course, we should care about what happens with fentanyl. Of course, we should care about all, we should close our border. Have I been unclear about this? Of course, America should have closed borders when it comes to this sort of stuff. I'm on the same side as Tucker on that. I just don't understand why he's not on my side when it comes to Hamas has to be wiped off the face of the earth. I mean, he makes some fair points, but there's this this constant demand that uh, you can't, you just can't, I mean, they, they constantly classify this as equating things. And I'm like, I'm not, I'm not equating it. I'm not equating it at all. He's just saying like, why, why do we have unanimity, like bipartisan, almost unanimity? when it comes to we must stand with Israel, but we, we don't even have that for, you know, the fentanyl crisis, for instance, um, or, or border protection or, you know, uh, things that, that you would think would be more pertinent to Americans since it's not 5,000 miles away in another nation that isn't America. Um, but there's this, this constant demand that you cannot like if you bring up anything else at all, it's whataboutism or it's diminishing. And it's like, it's not diminishing. I'm not diminishing what's happened at all. I'm simply saying, I don't want to be involved in it because it's not America. <laughs> that, that, that's it. 
So I think that's more Tucker's point there is that like we have a lot of issues at home. We can't do this. And even though Shapiro's not overtly calling for intervention, what is what is he really saying there? If he's like, why aren't you with me on this, that Hamas has to be wiped off the face of the earth? It's like, well, if you like, why do you even need his voice unless you're trying to get the American government to participate in that action? Um, and on top of that, how are you going to do that to Hamas without just absolutely flattening Gaza and 2 million innocent Palestinians that have basically nothing to do with this, or at least a million. I'm, I hope we can agree that the million children that live there do not have culpability for the action of adult terrorists in Hamas, right? Can we at least make that delineation? Probably not. That would probably be viewed as diminishing what happened or something. Um, very, very frustrating. Now, I don't think anyone has lost their mind to the extent that Lindsey Graham has. Uh, let's hear what he has to say. For every Israeli or American hostage executed uh, by Hamas, we should uh, take down an Iranian oil refinery. The only way you're going to keep this war from escalating is to hold Iran accountable. How much more death and destruction do we have to take from the Iranian regime? I am confident this was planned and funded by the Iranians. Does he have any proof? Nah. <laughs> so, so if Hamas does that to any of their hostages, then America should blow up an oil refinery in Iran. Wow. It gets way worse, by the way. Hamas is a bunch of animals uh, who deserve to be treated like animals. So if I was Israel, I would go in on the ground. There is no truce to be had here. I would dismantle Hamas. This is the best opportunity Israel has to destroy Hamas. Take it to the Iranians. If you harm one American in Syria by using your Iranian militia against us in Syria, if you escalate the war by urging Hezbollah to attack Israel in the north, if Hamas kills one American Israeli hostage, we're going to blow up your oil refineries and put you out of business. It is now time to take the war to the Ayatollah's backyard. So that's uh, the start of his shenanigans, but it gets significantly worse as time goes on. He seems to just escalate and escalate and escalate. Um, here's the next one for you. Lindsay, just being his normal wild self. What I would do is I would bomb Iran's oil infrastructure. The money financing terrorism comes from Iran. It's time for this terrorist state to pay a price for financing and supporting all this chaos. Yes, if you're the Iranians, if we're up to me, this war escalates, I'm coming after you. I think this is what I'm trying to clarify here because I, I, I'm wondering- Us in Israel, us in Israel. Us, the United States no, and no, Israel- No, I will be crystal clear. The United, so let me A just, let me just, um, let me just understand yeah, you yes, just sorry. to be clear. You're saying yeah. that you would want the United States and Israel to bomb Iran, even in the absence you of direct it. evidence of their involvement in this uh, attack. Yeah. What I would do is I would bomb. Jesus Christ. Even without direct evidence of their involvement. Yeah. Oh, my God. And then today he's, he tweets out, we're in a religious war and I unapologetically stand with Israel. 
Um, Lindsay. Hi, Clint here. Uh, no, we're not. We're not in a war at all, much less a religious war. What are you talking about? So <laughs> here's the last clip. We'll get done with Lindsey Graham. This dude is so wild. And to Cornell West and the Black Lives Matter group who believes that Israel's responsible, that's bullshit. I thought you were smart people. To the kids at Harvard, you're blaming the Israelis. Please, this is just absolutely appalling, disgusting to the Secretary General of the United Nations, who I consider a friend. You said today we had to understand this conflict in a greater context. My uh, friend Hamas BS. doesn't want us to state two-state solution. They want to kill the Jews just like the Nazis did. I am tired of appeasing uh, the, uh, Hamas, apologizing for them. They want to kill Israel, so does the Iran. The Ayatollah wants to destroy the Jewish state. They don't want to coexist with Israel. This is not a land problem, a boundary problem. It's, it's a problem of you cannot live in my world. My God determines that you die. The Germans believed that the Jews were inferior people, and their goal and the final solution was to eradicate the Jewish people. Well, Iran and Hamas believes that the Jewish people should die as a result of religious teachings. We're in a religious no. war here. I am with Israel. Do whatever the hell you have to do to defend yourself. Level the place. Jesus Christ. Level the place. Million kids. There's a million kids there. Don't ever fucking forget that. A million children. Level the place. They have nowhere to go. Well, that's on Hamas. Level the place. This dude is so fucking unhinged. It, it's... I, I Once again, I'm imploring, I'm begging you, South Carolina. Replace him with... Whoever you got to, Democrat, whatever, just get him out of power. This guy is totally, totally unhinged. Um, now, to give, you know, to steel man his argument, uh, I think there is, there is a compelling argument to be had that perhaps these two cultures, religious sects, can't coexist. And maybe one or the other has to go somewhere else because clearly Israel is unwilling to ever actually follow through with the two-state solution and also the Palestinian leadership. I'm not saying the Palestinian people, but the Palestinian leadership is willing to use atrocious acts of terrorism to try and, you know, fight back from their worldview. Um, it's terrible. And also I don't stand with the black lives matter people that are, you know, kind of glorifying these acts of terrorism, nor do I stand with the Harvard people that signed the letter you know, standing with, um, you know, the, the Palestinians and essentially supporting what Hamas had done. I think they're all wrongheaded. I think it's all, I mean, anytime children are getting killed, like, is there a good side here? It's just totally mystifying to me. Um, so yeah, you know, I agree with his critiques of them, but I think he's even crazier. <laughs> so, uh, it's just, it's just wild. All right, so let's go into uh, Pat Buchanan. This is a 2009 interview by Pat Buchanan, and I thought it was prescient to put it mildly. 
it for six months with these little rockets, which didn't kill anybody. It was outrageous, cruel, and stupid, and they triggered a blitzkrieg against the Palestinians in Gaza, which in my judgment is an Israeli concentration camp where a million and a half people are locked up, cannot come out or go in. They've been controlling food, electricity, fuel, and the innocent people in Gaza are the ones suffering. Here. Concentration camp, Pat, doesn't that diminish the significance of the real concentration camp? No, I'm not talking about a death camp. I'm talking about what the British had in concentration camps in, in South Africa and what the Spanish had in Cuba and what others have had where they bring all these people, lock them in there and treat them with great cruelty and a, and a humanitarian disaster despite what Zippy Livni says. Well, what do you, let me tell you, i tell you how you create people for Hamas. You kill 675 people, you wound and injure 3,000. What do you think the brothers and sisters, those five little girls that died, what are they going to be when they grow up? What are these people Hopefully, under this, treated like this? You know. Look, why do you, you think know, the Palestinians... You know and I know that Hamas's doctrine, I can talk about I, it right here, I know is to hide in schools, in mosques, to hide among uh, the civilians and use civilians for shields. And you know it is a war crime to use uh, civilians for shields. You should you, be criticizing those war crimes look, I, on the part of I, Hamas. I should look, Hamas, any war crimes, I criticize their attacks with those rockets, stupid and cruel. But you sit here and tell me that the Israeli people or the Israeli nation have, have treated the Palestinian people with any kind of justice. Those towns hit by the rockets are former Palestinian towns. Ashkelon, Ashkod, Sterot. Man, profound. Profound, like he had a crystal ball. So keep in mind, that clip was from 14 years ago. 14 years ago and he says there's four and five-year-olds what do you think they're going to grow up to be they're now 18 and 19 year olds they're the hamas fighters today he nailed it absolutely nailed it. like i have chills just thinking about how how much foresight that required but he was exactly right if you if you otherize and um you know repress people and then you kill their parents or their relatives or their brothers or their sisters well yeah the kids are going to grow up and they're going to have a tremendous amount of anger towards you for that righteously so <laughs> who wouldn't so i think that this is the problem is that like no one's willing to actually look at this fairly pat buchanan happened to be able to look at it fairly and to to realize that like the trajectory it was on it was only going to get worse so kudos to him much like ron paul you go back into that that i mean really anytime ron paul you just pull up any clip throughout his life and you're like oh wow yeah very pressing nailed that one uh but particularly in the like 2000 to 2010 period just a gold mine of like predictions that he just nailed because he was the only person that was looking at it rationally and uh pat buchanan did it there so that one was uh that one was amazing and now we got a uh, this is a uh, ex-top advisor to israel's prime minister and he actually ends up being way more sympathetic to the palestinians than a bbc presenter which i found to be pretty fascinating so let's pull that up for you real quick the Israelis would say, well, look, you know, we are defending ourselves. We are targeting Hamas targets in Gaza. We are trying to put an end uh, to what we believe is a terrorist organization once and for all. Do you really keep a straight face when you say that? Do you think terrorist organizations embedded 
in populations who are denied their most basic rights are ended once and for all in a military campaign. Does that happen in history? Can someone credibly tell me that when the leadership of a country says we are cutting off food, electricity, water, all supplies to an entire civilian population, that they're targeting militants? I'm sorry, these kind of lies can't be allowed to pass. And when you tell yourself the lie, it leads to the wrong policy. If anyone told me that what the militants did on the weekend was a legitimate response to years and years of occupation, I would say, no, you're wrong-headed. You've lost sight of humanity and reality. And if anyone tells me that what Israel is doing in Gaza today is a legitimate response to what happened on the weekend, it's exactly the same. And yet they are saying it, and yet the international community is saying that. Yes, and people need to challenge them on it, because it's a lie. And we're warmongering if we allow them to get away with it. Absolutely incredible. I mean, words straight out of my mouth. (laughs) That's exactly how I feel about it. It is warmongering either way. You support Hamas and its terrorist activity. It's just as messed up as if we were to sit here and support Israel's response where they're bombing civilian you know, apartments and <laughs> like residences uh, with kids inside. And they know that there's kids inside. And they're just doing it anyways because they got to get Hamas. Got to do what, as opposed to a ground invasion where you might actually be able to, to go after Hamas directly, which even Lindsey Graham was kind enough to say that in the earlier interview. But by the end of it, it was just level it which is obviously code for bombardment as opposed to a ground invasion where you could be a little bit more tactical. Now it's just level it. A million children, level it, level it. I can't tell you, I got thousands of responses to my tweets over the past five days with people just saying, glass it, glass it over and over again. They just kept saying that. It, it, I can't tell you how reminiscent it is to the 0203 period for me where I was like just pleading with people not to open up multiple fronts on the war on terror and and people were just like glass them which was code for nuke because if you if you drop a nuke on desert it turns the sand into glass because the temperature is so hot and that's what that's what they're talking about with a million kids there and also a million innocent adults i don't want to diminish their value uh, but a million kids like you really you really 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 can't pretend to have this righteous moral high ground when you're talking about leveling a city that has a million children in it and just be like i'm the good guy here no you're not no you're not no i'm getting retribution for the children that were killed in israel by killing a million kids you are is that retribution or is it psychosis? Because I'm pretty sure it's the latter. And now we got Bibi Netanyahu in a 2001 interview that I found fascinating too. I forgot that it's in his own language, so let me mute that and I'm just gonna read it to you as he talks. The main thing is first of all to strike them, not once but several times so painfully that the price they pay is unbearable. So far, the price tag is not unbearable. I mean, a large-scale attack on the Palestinian territory causing them to fear that that everything is about to collapse. Fear is what brings them to hold on. But then again, the world will say that we're we're the aggressors. They can say whatever they want. 
Aren't you afraid of what they'll say, BB? His response, especially today with the U.S., I know how they are. America is something that you can easily maneuver and move in the right direction. And even if they say something, so then they say something, so what? 80% of Americans support. It's absurd. Look, I wasn't afraid. I wasn't afraid to confront Clinton. I wasn't afraid to go against the UN. He's talking about Bill Clinton. What happened with the Oslo Accords? The Accords which were ratified by Parliament. I was asked before the 96 elections. Will you fulfill them? I said yes. Subject to reciprocity and minimizing. I gave my own interpretation to the agreements in such a way that will allow me to stop the race back towards the 1967 borders. How did we manage to do this? Nobody defined what military facilities are. So I also defined them as being security zones. The entire Jordan Valley for me is a military facility. Nobody has, yes, like the Beit Shane Valley, you see, go figure. But then there was the question of who will define these military facilities? I received a letter from Secretary of State Warren Christopher to me and to Arafat at the same time, saying that Israel and Israel alone will define the military facilities, their locations, and size. Now, they didn't want to give me this letter, so I refused to ratify the Hebron Accords of 1997. I stopped the government meeting and I said, I won't sign. And only when the letter has arrived during that meeting, to me at the, and to Arafat, I signed the Hebron Accords. It's better to give 2% than 100%, and this is the choice we faced. You gave 2%, but you stopped the withdrawal rather than 100%. And there you have it. That's him basically describing how he's able to manipulate the American government to do as he sees fit. And I am of the belief that the 40 baby story was a very blatant attempt to manipulate the American population into supporting whatever they decided to do in response to Hamas's terrible, atrocious acts. And could I be proven wrong? Could there be video footage that comes out of these 40 babies uh, in the next week? Tomorrow even. It could happen. It could happen. But I'll tell you this. I have seen so much footage that is so, so horrific, I find it impossible to believe that 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 any of these reporters, these soldiers, that they wouldn't immediately have recorded it and put it out. Because what would be better justification for exactly what they want to be doing right now? If they had that, it would it would put me in an impossible position. I would still do it because that's just principally what I would do. I would still say you can't go after innocent women and children, but it would it would create virtual unanimity. It would almost be unanimous that whatever you have to do, Hamas has to go after you have this video of 40 babies that have been ended in such a horrific fashion. So the fact that it hasn't come out, yeah, I'm banking on it not being true. And I'm going to continue to bank on that because I think it's extraordinarily far-fetched. We'll see if I'm wrong. But based off of that clip, from uh, from 2001, I think it said, uh, it seems as if he is not exactly unwilling to lie, not exactly unwilling to manipulate and to use, uh, you know, misleading statements and to use coercion to kind of get his way. 
And I think that's what most political leaders do. So I'm not even necessarily besmirching him for just saying it. But I think that it is, if I'm right about this story, and given all of the connections that it has to his own you know, communications department, I think it's highly probable that he created this story whole cloth and is using it to manipulate the world into supporting Israel as they commit what I think are egregious war crimes. That's my two cents. Now we'll bring it to uh, American politics. This one was pretty stunning to me. Ron DeSantis uh, actually put out a clip of Trump who gave a speech tonight about the Israel situation. And DeSantis says, terrorists have murdered at least 1,200 Israelis and 22 Americans and are holding more hostage. So it is absurd that anyone, much less someone running for president, would choose now to attack our friend and ally Israel, much less praise Hezbollah terrorists as very smart. As president, I will stand with Israel and treat terrorists like the scum that they are. Oh, your dick's so big, Ron. Good job, buddy. Uh, and then we got Trump. This is what he actually said. And then two nights ago, I read all of Biden's security people. Can you imagine national defense people, and they said, gee, I hope Hezbollah doesn't attack from the north because that's the most vulnerable spot. I said, wait a minute. You know, Hezbollah is very smart. They're all very smart. The press doesn't like when they say it. You know, I said that President Xi of China, 1.4 billion people, he controls it with an iron fist. I said, he's a very smart man. They killed me the next day. I said he was smart. What am I going to say? But Hezbollah, they're very smart. And they have a... This is actually just a brief pause. I think more than probably anything about Donald Trump, the reason that the deep state had to see him gone was because of this level of candor where he just starts talking about geopolitics and, and talking about, you know, how the world kind of actually works, you know, his, his own perception of it, but it, it, far closer to the reality, like the, the behind the curtain stuff that the American people aren't supposed to see. Trump just says it. He's just like, you know, Hezbollah is very smart. You know, but what he's saying with that is that they're tactical, that they're not. I mean, they are. Do they commit terrorism and they're, you know, have some really evil people in it? Yeah, of course. Doesn't mean that they're not smart and tactical. National defense minister or somebody saying, I hope Hezbollah doesn't attack us from the north. So the following morning they attacked. They might not have been doing it, but if you listen to this jerk, you would attack from the north because he said that's our weak spot about 15 seconds later it was all over and we did it but i'll never forget i'll never forget that bb netanyahu let us down that was a very terrible thing i will say that and uh, so when i for context he's talking about when trump ordered the assassination uh, the bombing of Soleimani, the general for iran I see uh, sometimes uh, the intelligence, you talk about the intelligence or you talk about some of the things that went wrong over the last week. Uh, they've got to straighten it out because they're fighting potentially a very big force. They're fighting potentially Iran. And when they have people saying the wrong things, everything they say is being digested by these people because they're vicious and they're smart. And boy, are they vicious because nobody's ever seen the kind of sight that we've seen. What I found fascinating about that is that he was willing to critique their their security. You know, that's that's a, once again, this is the type of thing that Trump would just say off the cuff on the fly that, like, you're just not allowed to say you're just not allowed to critique anything about Israel ever. And the fact that he said that, I think I mean, this is all I've been doing is like pointing out, like, what happened here? 
you have this state-of-the-art, incredibly technologically advanced border system that famously is able to sense a cat as it walks past it, and you would have troops that would be targeting it. <laughs> like, But you had 400 guys just blast through it and fly over it on, on like, fan-propelled parachute systems? That's That's how they got through? What? So, yeah. Uh, they don't like it when he starts <laughs> talking off the cuff. He starts telling too much of the truth. Nobody's ever seen it, but they cannot play games. So we were disappointed by that, very disappointed. But we did the job ourselves, and it was absolute precision, magnificent, beautiful job. <laughs> and then uh, Bibi tried to take credit for it. That wasn't good. That didn't make me feel too good, but that's all right. So they got to strengthen themselves up. Um. I mean, as you guys already probably recall, I don't support what he did to Soleimani, the uh, Iranian general, had the potential to start World War III then. Uh, and I don't know why it didn't, but it didn't. So thank goodness. Um, but, you know, what he's doing there is he's condemning Bibi for not, I guess, lending either intelligence or military assistance in that strike. Um, but I think that the, the more important part of that is that he's talking about, you know, really what kind of threat that they're under, like how potentially existential this is. They have a lot of nations that surround them that really don't like them. And I mean, if you, for like the, the way Muslims perceive each other, obviously there's different sects, Sunni and Shia and all this stuff, but they perceive each other to be like brothers. And, and when they see their people, I mean, this is the exact same reasoning that Osama bin Laden gave for the attacks against America on 9-11. You know, whether you believe he was responsible entirely for it, I, I do think he was uh, one of the central planners of it for sure. And he said that it was, you know, Madeleine Albright and the Clinton administration that had, uh, you know, essentially barricaded and via sanctions the Iraqi people and caused the death of, uh, I think it was over half a million people. Majority of them were children. Again, children. Yeah, you know, contrary to popular belief, they, they always dehumanize and talk about Muslims as if they're like these subhuman creatures or something. Yeah, they, they take it very personally when you kill their kids. So that doesn't sound very subhuman to me. That sounds actually pretty honorable. Um, they may not respond with the most honor if you fly planes into buildings. But regardless, that was what he cited in it. In his like open declaration of war against America. That's what Osama bin Laden said. He said, like, this is why. This is why. You bomb my brothers. You bomb my sisters. You bomb our children. And now you will pay. That's that's the way that they perceive it. And you know, Trump is once again kind of pointing that out. That like they're under serious threat because all of these other nations that already do not like Israel, either because of religious reasons or because of kind of this neoliberal hegemony that they all languish under. They're like, if you, if you are going to flatten Gaza, if you're going to kill 2 million of our brothers and sisters, even though we're not willing to take them in because they're kind of political pawns and they're advantageous to the political establishment, the people there do not like that. They take it personally. And this is where you get the threat or the risk of a real jihad, like where you have, and in fact, it was the leader of uh, Hamas in, in, uh, in Palestine that came out and they said that 
October 13th, so tomorrow, is supposed to be, by his own declaration, a global jihad against everybody that's oppressing them. And that would include America, because we are funding Israel and we have just given them the armaments to restock their Iron Dome. And when he calls for a global jihad, what that means is that like, they can bring in outside Muslim troops from terrorist organizations like Hezbollah or a litany of others. I can't remember all their names because it's not in the language I speak, but I'm sure you guys have heard of them. Al-Shabaab and all these guys. Um, and and he's calling on them to rally to Palestine's defense. And the only way they can do that is basically to put pressure on Israel. And it, to put pressure means probably invading. And if you have multiple nations that do that simultaneously, well, then you, you push the hand of the Western world, who all allegedly stand with Israel to the end of the earth. And it's like, okay, well, I guess that means that it's a multi-front world war. Because you'd have Iranian, you'd have U.S. strikes on Iran. You, I, I don't even, I don't even know. I can't even like fathom all of the fronts that this could potentially create. And then in the wake of that instability, almost certainly China moves on Taiwan. I mean, if if the Western propaganda that they that they intend to is legitimate, I don't really know, but it seems possible. Um, and then obviously Russia has already uh, taken over the portion of Ukraine that I think they most wanted, but. If America is already in a, another major war with Iran and a litany of other Middle Eastern nations, well, I think it's a distinct possibility that they could just sweep over the rest of Ukraine if they want to. They certainly have the capacity to. It would be tremendous bloodshed, but I think they could do it if they choose to. So, And then NATO's hand is pushed once again, and they go, how are we going to respond? Are we going to allow this to happen, or are we going to, uh, are we fighting for Israel so we can't help Ukraine anymore? Or are they going to shift and say, we're not going to help Israel. We're only going to go and help Ukraine. I don't know. I, I, I would guess that they would lend all of their support to, to Israel. But who knows? So there's just a ton, a ton of variables at play here. And it's really becoming existential, not just for the Palestinians, but for Israel. And man, and then you add on top of that, that Israel has what's called the Samson option which means that if their, if their existence is existentially threatened, like they're on the cusp of being eliminated entirely, that they have the Samson option, which launches their entire nuclear arsenal, which they allegedly don't have, but they do, um, towards locations in Europe and all sorts of stuff. It's kind of like this dead man switch that, that shuts off the world if they are, you know, removed from the map by their neighbors that don't like them. Oh, it's so complex and horrifying. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm probably freaking you guys out, but like, this is my therapy session. I'm just venting along with you. And hopefully, you know, in the comments, you can tell me that I'm, I'm losing it and that I'm, I'm totally misreading all of this, but I have spent the past five days doing nothing, but just dive into this and f trying to figure out what the hell's going on. And I think I have a pretty good handle on it. So I, I hope that you found it valuable. Um, Please do hit the like button if you found it valuable. <laughs> um, all right, so I'm going to end with this. This is not at all related to Israel-Palestine, so hopefully it'll make you feel better. Um, this is a digital action ad. It's a 2024 
It's called The Year of Democracy, and I found it to be worth discussing. Let me pull it up for you. Here we go. We're in the midst of a crisis, and every second counts. 2024 is a make or break year for democracy and freedoms globally, as over 2 billion people are due to vote in 65 elections across the world. But we worry, are social media companies ready for the election tsunami? Will they stop online disinformation, hate and abuse spilling over into real world violence? They haven't in the past. Do you remember? It's a clip of J6. This guy? He stormed the US Capitol with a mob of angry Donald Trump supporters in 2021. Shout out to Jacob Chansley, who's been on the show, <laughs> and by the way, is now freed, but they're still portraying him as if he was some dangerous terrorist. After Trump refused to concede defeat in the presidential race. Two years later, supporters of President Jair Bolsonaro in Brazil also attacked government buildings. Note that they're only picking the uh, populist right-wing uprisings and completely ignoring the entire Black Lives Matter summer of love, as they call it. I mean, it's just so transparently biased. O presidente Lula decretou intervenção federal no Distrito Federal até o fim deste mês. Attacks, social media was flooded with disinformation about the legitimacy of the vote and calls for violence. This happened in stable democracies. And before Silicon Valley giants sack staff meant to keep their platforms safe to cut costs. These are not isolated cases. It's just so, the framing of that is so unfair. You know, to say that Elon Musk cut that censorship apparatus that was working hand in hand with the CDC and DHS and FBI and CIA to spy on American people and to censor unconstitu uncon unconstitutionally the American people and to say it was just a cost-cutting exercise by Elon Musk, who by his own description consistently, whether he hasn't really lived up to it, but at least he has been consistent in saying this, the primary reason he bought Twitter, now X, was because he wanted there to be more open conversation and less censorship on that app. So uh, just a very unfair framing to say it was cost-cutting. Big tech companies have a track record of allowing abuses and undermining democracy. And 2024 will pose the biggest risk yet to people and elections, with social media at its most powerful. In Tunisia, which goes to the ballot then, supporters of the increasingly autocratic president have used social media to silence and dox his critics. This is happening because big tech has been massively under-investing in content moderation and safeguards in non-English languages. Oh, they just have to invest money in censorship. Oh, that's the problem. <sighs> These people have such terrible, terrible totalitarian instincts and they just frame it in this kind of like Orwellian newspeak like paired with like Silicon Valley tonality, like cadence to their voice. It's just so, it's so reprehensible and un-American. Investment in platform safety should be proportionate to the risk of harm, not market size. 
Companies must address this gross iniquity. They invested billions to protect the US elections and neglected global majority countries, where they pose a serious risk to rights and freedoms in 2024. I don't even know what global majority countries means. Like it's just such woke nonsense language. It's like it's honestly hard to follow. They generally they genuinely speak a different language than the normal people. The clock is ticking. Will big tech protect people and elections? So this is the Global Coalition for Tech Justice and it's just it's just obvious pressure campaign to try and increase censorship once again because Elon Musk kicked out the FBI hole monitors so they could no longer censor us. On on top of that, it went to the Supreme Court in many states and they were shot down. It was declared. It was unconstitutional. The coercive nature of their communications to the censors or to the you know trust and safety people, whatever again Orwellian Newspeak to describe censors over that were working on Twitter before uh, before Elon bought it. Like that's what this is. Once again, just compelling and coercing and kind of ESG manipulating these companies into hiring more moderation and more censorship. That's what it is. And of course, of course, they once again, they focus it on this has to happen because we have elections coming up. Just as the censorship apparatus went completely ballistic in the seven to eight month lead up to the 2020 elections and all of the fuckery that went along with that. And once again, they frame it as if all critiques, all concerns about election legitimacy were a product of just not enough censorship, as opposed to maybe it being the exact inverse of that, where people were, you know, thinking, hey, I don't know if this is legitimate because uh, the Hunter Biden laptop story was suppressed. That certainly feels unjust, given that it was true. So, yeah. Maybe the censorship is not the problem. And maybe they're not actually calling for censorship to try and, you know, decrease the inequity of the global whatever blah, 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 bullshit they were saying. But in fact, it's just about being able to manipulate the system and to censor populist, you know, uprising rebellions all over the world because we're manipulated and ruled over by a bunch of totalitarian, technocratic, fascistic bastards. Could that be it? Yeah, I say that's probably it, actually. It's not so much that they're concerned with mis and disinformation as, as they are concerned with truth that doesn't fit their narrative. Because that's certainly what happened in 2020, isn't it? Especially the COVID information and all of the doctors that they kicked off that were actually way closer to the truth than the doctors that they uplifted. It's just so obvious what this is. It's not about truth. It's not about suppressing mis and disinformation. It's about narrative control. It's about controlling you. That's all this is. It couldn't be more clear. And it's very, very frustrating that these people still have the audacity to try and frame it as if it, we're just looking out for the people. No, the fuck you're not. If you were looking out for the people, you would realize that we ought to have a voice. Even if we say things that are wrong from time, time to time, because we are in the process of seeking truth. Just as this entire show has been me trying to express how I have 
gone through the entire chronology of how this 40 baby story began and where it is today and how there has never been an ounce of demonstrable evidence to prove it. But if I'm not able to have this conversation, if people aren't able to post whatever they think about it, I wouldn't actually be able to suss out what actually happened. And now, because there is a little bit more open dialogue, I can, and that's a benefit because now I can try and convey that to my audience and hopefully they can convey that to people that they know. So hopefully that we don't get caught up in this whirlwind of propagandistic push for war. Wouldn't that be a benefit to humanity? Yeah, I'd argue that's probably the greatest benefit to humanity if we can avoid an unnecessary war that is predicated on lies, just as every war in my lifetime has been. Sounds like a, a novel concept. Allow us to speak freely and maybe we won't kill each other in a war that didn't have to happen. That sounds awesome to me, actually. So maybe fuck you. Maybe fuck you for trying to censor me. Eh? All right. We'll end it there. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Um, Luke and I are actually working on scheduling some really banger episodes, interviews in person, in studio, two hour long. Going to be fantastic. Here's the three that uh, he has told me he's scheduling right now. The most, the soonest one is going to be Vivek Ramaswamy in studio. That would be rad. And then uh, Matt Gates. Yeah. That'll be nuts. And then the craziest one for me, if you're my age, you'll understand why. Roseanne Barr. She is actually supposed to be on the show in studio with me. I watched her sitcom when I was growing up. I thought it was one of the funniest shows on TV way back when. And uh, she's just a hysterical woman and um, pretty red-pilled. Maybe too red-pilled. Uh, but I think the conversation is going to be hysterical and just super interesting so i can't wait for that so i hope you guys will, will check that out um last but not least if you want to support my work uh, either you can subscribe on x in which case i'll follow you back or you can support me over at libertylockdown.locals.com i hope you enjoyed this one if you did hit that like button share it around uh, that's the best way to grow the show and last but not least if you want to leave a five-star review over on apple Podcasts, i will read it on the show and uh, leave a comment and then hug and kiss your mom because she's the best because she made you. Peace. Welcome to Liberty Lockdown. Please scan your barcode. Your liberty ain't gone, but yeah, it's on hold. Where did it come from and where did it go?